chapters 36 through 40 of Pep, Poise, Efficiency, Peace, by Colonel William Crosby Hunter. Recording by J. A. Carter. Chapter 36. A glorious, golden, helpful chapter is this. It tells you a great way by which you may break the shackles of worry. It tells you of the splendid power and divine strength you get in prayer. Beyond human belief, perhaps, is the strength and help you will get from prayer, not only from the divine help, but from the courage and strength the helpful thoughts plant within you. Wonderful miracles may be performed in your own life by prayer, uttered in the right and faithful way that brings confidence and inspires and lifts you up. Proof? I told you early in this book you were going to learn truths, and that we would not stop for proofs of everything. But just this once I will prove a statement, or rather let you prove it to yourself, for then perhaps you will believe your own evidences better than the promises I make you. Well then, just to humor you, I am going to give you a suggestion so that you may prove to your own satisfaction the value of prayer. For seven days, three times a day, morning, noon, and evening, go to a room, draw the curtain down, and in the middle of that room place a chair. Go to it, kneel down before it. Rest in quiet for two or three minutes with your eyes closed. Then, for ten or fifteen minutes, in a low voice but in a distinct tone, pray slowly to your God. Do not once utter fear thoughts or name your ailments or talk about your troubles. Pray for others. Repeat passages of the Bible like those I have told you about. Thank the Lord for the blessings you have. Count those blessings aloud. Health, strength, love, courage, happiness, ability to overcome, and so on, letting truth into your brain. Open your heart to Him. Keep uppermost the helpful promises of the Lord. I will fear no evil. He will care for me. Do this for seven days with confidence that you will feel better, stronger, and happier, and these things will surely come to pass. Do not pray as if you were making an experiment or waiting to see how the experiment comes out. Pray with faith, and I promise you, dear one, that you will feel a sweet sereneness, a strong courage, perfect peace, and that faith will flourish and will banish worry and fear and bad thoughts. No matter what your religious faith may be, no matter what church you belong to, your God and mine are the same, and he reads your heart and mine. God is greater than sects or creeds or isms or fancies, and some day, when men have better understanding, all these creeds and church divisions will vanish, and there will be but one great, grand, universal religion, and it will be one of happiness and joy. It will not be a religion of fear and sorrow. It will not be a religion that causes you to chastise yourself. The great religion of the future is to be universal. Cheer, love, and happiness are to be the beads on the rosary, instead of ashes, sorrows, and tears. Prayer, then, will be your proof, and you are going to test it out for yourself, and then you will surely believe the things I tell you from now on. For if I have told you the truth in this, the greatest of all examples of how to get mental help, then indeed the lesser things you may readily believe without proof. How sweet the thought, how pleasant the anticipation of this great help that is yours. You are going to have faith, and you are going to be benefited, and happiness is going to be your portion. Tonight, then, continue this helpful, close communication with your Creator, who says to you, I am with you always. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. I am thy God. I will walk with thee. The very practice of raising your thoughts up into the grander views of life will bring you a peace that passeth all understanding. 
These truths have been handed down through passing generations, and only a few have known them even as you, who are now just entering into the understanding. On your pillow, thank God for the truths and assurances and promises he has given you, and resolve to do and act and to be an emancipated member of the faith family, who has found that worry is but a shadow, a thing unreal, that cannot hurt you, because you have strength that comes from knowing that he is with you. This sublime suggestion, and this chapter, you should ever remember as the bright star of hope that shone clearly forth in your hour of darkness, and caused you by faith to raise yourself into the divine presence. Chapter 37 One of the great laws of nature is the law of cause and effect. Wherever you see a result, there is a corresponding cause that made that result. There is no such thing in nature as a blind chance. Everything that happens operates in accordance with a law. The law underlies everything. A moment's thought will convince you that there is not an effect without some cause. A great stone is dislodged and rolls down the mountainside, striking a tree which it uproots and sends rolling down to a stream which it dams up. This causes a flood which sweeps away a fertile field, and so on and so on, effect after effect, but back of all there was a cause. It was not a blind chance. The stone was dislodged by the effect of causes that had been at work for centuries, disintegrating the stone, wearing away the foundation. There was no more chance in the dislodging of the stone than there was in the striking of a clock that had been wound up a day or a week before. Both are the natural result of the great law of cause and effect. Man can take hold of these laws and turn them to advantage. In the cause of this fallen stone, man could have prevented the stone from falling by building up a foundation to prevent its leaving its resting place, and all the damage of the flood would have been prevented. Man has risen from savagery to what he is today because he has studied cause and effect and has learned to produce beneficial effects by using natural causes for his benefit. Oxygen needs hydrogen to accomplish its life's mission. The plant needs oxygen to accomplish its mission. The animal needs the plant to accomplish its mission, and haughty man needs willpower to accomplish his life's mission. Each draws to itself that which it needs in proportion to its uses of the law. Man has consciousness and thought and reasoning power, and has the desire to live his full life and accomplish his purpose. He must use his mental equipment in discovering and planning and availing himself of the natural forces of the great law of cause and effect, and he must learn to apply that law to his own benefit. All progress, whether physical, mental, moral, or spiritual, is based upon law, and he who wins success in any line does so because he has followed the law or laws pertaining to his business, his pleasures, and his thoughts, whether he does it consciously or unconsciously. Cause and effect show us that if you plant a certain seed, a certain fruit will come from it. This is a scientific truth. What you plant in your brain determines what you are going to get out of it, in a higher or more developed form. Consequently, you must keep putting in your brain good thoughts, courage, hope, faith, ambition, cheerfulness, kindness. If you keep planting your garden with these good things, good is bound to come from it. It is the great law of compensation again in another form. But back of all these forms and all these suggestions I have given you is the one fundamental truth, no matter how it is expressed, and that is, as ye sow, that shall ye reap. Chapter 38 The great scientific authorities of the present time teach us that a man, by diligent care and practice, 
may absolutely and completely change his whole character, temperament, and habits. He may kill undesirable traits of character and replace them with new desirable qualities and faculties. He may eliminate worry and substitute happiness. Your mental attitude is the result of the current of your thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. You are constantly at work building up a mental attitude. It is not only making your character, but it is having its influence upon the outside world through your example. Every person you meet takes a mental inventory of you. If you go into another's presence with a lack of confidence in yourself or a lack of confidence in the thing you have to sell, and an unbelief in the proposition you wish to place before him, he will get your spirit and will feel that you have no confidence in the things that you are trying to offer him. He will catch your mental atmosphere at once, and you will suffer thereby. But on the other hand, if you are filled with thoughts, feelings, and ideals of enthusiasm, success, and courage in yourself and in your proposition, you will fairly radiate success towards those you come in contact with, and they will unconsciously take stock in you and your goods, and the chances are they will be willing and glad to do business with you. You know there are many men who radiate failure and discouragement, and when such people come into your presence, you are affected by them. There are others who come to you with confidence and enthusiasm, and the moment they come into your presence, you at once catch their spirit and respond to it. I can say that there is an actual atmosphere surrounding men that is either of the uplifting or the depressing kind. If your mental attitude is right, it is a magnet that draws others to you. If you think success firmly and hold it always before you, it tends to build up a confidence which attracts others to you. Fix your mind upon anything, good or bad, in the world, and you attract it to you, or you are attracted to it. You attract to yourself the thing you expect, think about, and hold to in your mental attitude. This is not superstition, but a firmly established scientific fact. As the writer of old said, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Dust out the chambers of your mind in all those distressing thoughts like, I can't, my poor luck, poor me, I'm sorry and replace these thoughts with invigorating, forceful, compelling ideas of success. If you get an idea in your mind and let that take hold of you and stay with you morning, noon, and night, that idea gets fixed. If the idea is centered on your troubles, that fear thought gets to be a mania with you, and the longer you think it over, the more firmly fixed it becomes. Fear thought finally marks its imprint indelibly on your countenance and makes you a negative instead of a positive personality. Chapter 39. This chapter is to you who have acute worry-phobia. It is you yourself who is to blame for the useless, helpless, unnecessary worry state you have been in. You have exaggerated yourself. You are a wee little mite, and entirely unimportant and unnecessary to the world's scheme. You have been living as though the responsibility of the world were on your shoulders. You have been bothering over details. When you get sick or go away for two or three weeks, you see how well the world moves along without you. You are simply an atom. You do not amount to anything so far as the rest of the world is concerned. But you are a big thing so far as you yourself are concerned. You have been worrying over problems beyond your control. You have been thinking that the coal supply was going to give out, or that the forests were to be depleted. You have been worrying because man is getting bald or coming to a toothless age. You have been worrying about floods or fires or earthquakes or other things that are beyond your power to prevent. You have worried over the fear of ill health or some particular disease. You are afraid, and you have been wondering if you are going to lose your mind. Well, dear one, 
Here are a few truths for your comfort. Your grandfather worried over the fact that in future there would not be enough tallow to make candles, and behold, kerosene was discovered. Your father, perhaps, worried over the thought that when kerosene was exhausted, the world would be in darkness. Then gas was discovered, and now we have electric light. There is enough coal to last for centuries, if we need it, but in fifty years we will hardly burn coal at all. We will heat from electricity, which we will get from water power, and we are even going to get our power, light, and heat direct from the sun itself. In other words, since the time of the caveman we have been able to meet conditions and take care of ourselves, we have evoluted from the barbarian to the civilized man. Necessity is the mother of invention, and the future will solve its own problems. Anyway, it's none of your business, so don't bother your head. You have thought, perhaps, that you would catch some disease, and at other times you have feared that you would lose your mind. Well, here is a comfort for you. One seldom gets the particular disease he has been expecting. Many high-strung persons have frequently felt so downright miserable, have worried and made their cases seem so hopeless, they think they are losing their minds. To you, who are afraid of insanity, you may take comfort in knowing that nearly all insanity results from physical disease of the brain. Either it is a softening of the brain, or in the formation of blood clot or pressure of some sort. This condition is unknown to the patient in advance. Your egotism occasionally needs a good dose of mental salts to make you realize how little you are. The moment you realize this, then's the time to start to grow big. Get this chapter well in your mind, and it will help you wonderfully. Chapter 40 Once there was a king who called the wise men together and asked them how he could obtain happiness. He was told to travel through his domain disguised as a peasant until he found a contented man, and to trade with that contented man or buy from him his shirt. So the king set out on his way, and after a long journey finally found a man who was fully contented and showed it. But lo, the man had no shirt. It is the seeking for material things and the desire for the unattainable that makes discontent. Our colored brothers down south are happy. They have few material things. They need few. But they use those few things they do have to the best advantage. They have good appetites, good health, and they are always smiling or joking. The more things a man has, the more he has to worry over. You must learn to be thankful for the things you have, and you must spend your time adding to your store of happiness by doing something for somebody and making the best of the things you have around you. The first rule of happiness is the doing of something for somebody. A word of cheer, a kindly act, interest in other folks, wise counsel, and above all, lending a helping hand with a smiling face. Get selfishness out of your system. Do not look for a direct reward for the good you do. Plant the seeds. The harvest will come out all right later on. Think of the great unselfishness of your mother. She has cared for you, watched over you, shared your joys and sorrows, your hopes, your troubles, and all without a single thought of her reward. You must not do kindness and look for profit from the act right away. Kindness should never preface a request. Women often do kind things for their husbands in order to get them in good humor, and when this is attained, they follow their advantage by asking a big favor. The reflex from such an act of kindness offsets the good that was done. Happiness comes from the very doing of good, and not from the hope of reward. Keep in good humor, for anger kills happiness. Do not quarrel. Remember that a soft answer turneth away wrath. 
let the other fellow stew and fret and work himself into a fury but you keep calm it takes two to quarrel and you must not be one of the two start to-morrow making it a point to say a pleasant word to every one you meet to those who are ill or in trouble whisper the word of sympathy first then a word of courage and helpfulness to those who need advice give your kindly counsel make it a point with every one you meet to leave a helpful influence whether it is a smile a cheery word a kindly hand clasp or an act of kindness the very mental resolve to do this will start happiness your way and the act of kindness you do will bring the happiness a selfish person can never be happy in the world an unselfish person will always be happy there is no happiness so complete or half so sweet as that which comes to you when you have done something worth while in helping someone by act example or inspiration you are now getting along in this study to where i can ask you to be a pattern for others to follow you are to be a model and radiate to others happiness and good humor this will attract others to you and they will want to find out how you were changed from your old self into the new happy being and that means they will follow the rules you have followed and the general good in the world will be increased just so much all of which will bring me great dividends from the suggestions i give you and great dividends to you for passing the suggestions along end of chapters thirty six through forty recording by j a carter www.pleiotic.com